We're going to start. It's called Victorious Living. Week one is our introduction, and we're going to talk about outside influences. Now, some of this might be, you know, it's not going to, a lot of it's not going to be new material because you've been Christians for so long. Some of it's going to be a good review. Some of it might give you another tool in your toolbox. But what I'm hoping for is that you have tools to give somebody else to help them to grow and mature in Christ. And we have to recognize that the lies we live in with our minds, and we have to break the power of those lies with the truth of the Word of God. Sometimes you've just lived with a lie forever, and you don't even know it's a lie. You know, has anybody ever heard that the pandemic is of the unvaccinated? Have you heard about the insurrection on January 6th? See, you say it long enough and often enough, and it becomes a truth to some people. And this is what happens in our minds. We believe it long enough. Some of you believe things from childhood. Maybe you were told you weren't pretty, or maybe you were told you weren't smart, or maybe you were told you couldn't do this. And here we are, 70, maybe even 80 years later, still believing the same lie that we were told back then. Because why? We were told long enough and often enough. Oh, you can't do anything right. It becomes a stronghold in our minds, and sometimes you don't even recognize it. And what this class does is that we're going to shine the light. I couldn't give you a, a syllabus on it because I, I was really just kind of, I don't want to say rebelling against it, but for like two weeks I've been walking around and I told Clarence, I just can't get settled in my prayer time. Has that ever happened to you? You're kind of like, I can't get settled and... You know, you're up, you're getting that other cup of coffee, you're, you know, just couldn't get settled. And now I know why, is because I was supposed to be studying this, and I was just like, yeah, you know, I've got to pull it out from the closet. I didn't want to open that closet, uh, you know, it, it, but I did. I talked to Barbara on Monday, and I was thinking, yeah, we should do that on Wednesday morning, because I have other ideas. I've always got an idea, and it makes Barbara cringe, makes my husband cringe, too. I'll say, I've got an idea, and it's like, well, okay. You know, how is she going to involve me in this next scheme? But, um, it, you know, for, so anyways, the, the goal for these class is for you to understand and accept, accept that mistakes are part of life. And you have permission to be less than perfect. Everybody makes mistakes. Perfect example, we added up those boxes. I can't tell you how many times we both came up with 81. And then she called me because she put the labels on there. She said, I'm short. And I'm saying, well, how could you be short? I gave you 81 boxes. Well, we know now why. So, you know, you can make a mistake. You don't have to kick yourself every time you make a mistake. You have the freedom to make a mistake. Failure is a sign that you're still trying to do something. Sometimes people fail, and then that's like, it. okay, I failed. I'm not going to do that anymore. Number two. And you may not like number two, okay? You can teach an old dog new tricks. You can do it. You can do it. Don't limit yourself because you're older. It may take you longer to learn something. It may take you a little more effort because maybe the fingers aren't working as well. Maybe, you know, maybe you keep... Uh, misplacing things, maybe you keep forgetting things. 
you can learn it. You can do something new. See, the lie is, is when you get older, you can't do these things anymore. But, uh, and there are things that you can't do, okay? Let's, let's be honest. We have two of those spotlights are out, and um, I, I would never like a ladder anyways. But um, I, at this age, would I climb a ladder and replace a spotlight? No. But I wouldn't do it when I was 40 either, to be honest. But some of you would go right up the ladder when you were 40, change the spotlight, and come right back down. Now you'd be a little more hesitant because there's, there's balance issues. There's just things when you get older that you have to be more cautious with. But you can still learn things. And the lie is, is that people have to sit home and just grow old. I talked to a man. I ran into a man in the post office. We must have talked 10 minutes. He was 85. Well, he's going to be 85 on November 22nd. And he said, do you... He goes, do you know what that day is? I said, I sure do. It was the assassination of JFK. And he looked at me. Obviously, I don't look old enough to even have been born, but I was. I was six. And, um, you know, he was amazed that I even knew it. And we just got to talking. And he said, you know, he goes, they tell you about retirement, how wonderful it is. And he says, I'm, I'm alone all the time. And I sit in my house all the time. So I, I told him about Wednesday morning. I said, well... You know, come on, come on with us. I said, there's things you can do. I said, find something you can do and do it with all your heart. There are things that we can all do. And you've known that after four years of me telling you that, that we don't give you the old card pass. You know, but we're not going to run around the sanctuary either, okay? We're not going to do things that, you know, I mean, obviously, if, if you sometimes if you get down on the floor, you have to have help getting up now. I mean, I, I get all that. But there are things we can do. There's a, a resource. It's called hillsdale.edu. They have free courses on the Constitution. You could just sit there and take free courses all day long and expand your brain. There's all kinds of, you can do all kinds of things. You know, we've got our Thursday Learn to Knit. We've kind of expanded it out to now somebody wanted to crochet and I happen to know somebody in the class who can crochet, so they're teaching people how to crochet and do this and that. And there are things you can do if you want to put in the effort to do it. There are things, but we kind of pull back and we go, you know, I don't. The thing is, is we don't like to break routine. Let's just be honest. You know, I have a crazy routine in the morning. You know, I, I used to just do, I used to do things different every day. I brush my teeth different. I did. Now I've kind of settled into something. And I don't really, I don't like change. Now I'm making his breakfast in the morning. So I had to recombobulate my whole routine because usually I just get up and have a cup of tea and then go right to the prayer room because I didn't want the day to start. But now that I'm making his breakfast, well, he likes to eat first. So I kind of deferred to that. And, it, you know, but we have to, sometimes we just don't like our routines messed with. You know, I had a favorite cup at my work. I didn't like anybody else using that cup. And it was basically because I knew it was my cup, and I knew if I left it somewhere, it was safe to drink what was ever in it because it was mine. That was basically why I didn't want anybody messing with my cup. Number three, to impart revelation knowledge to you regarding the subject matter and help you identify and make changes where necessary. We're going to get pretty deep on some of these things. We're going to talk about self-pity. We're going to talk about broken heart. We're going to talk about grief. We're going to talk about rejection. 
we go pretty deep in here. And you might say, I'm too old, you know, I live like this. Well, we go back to number two. Okay? You can learn new spiritual truths and be free. You can walk free even at your age. Amen? Or freer. You can walk freer. Number four, to make clear the devil's devices and yet minimize the devil as a powerful force and reveal the total defeat of darkness at the cross. Sometimes the devil's so magnified in somebody's testimony, you'd think he was God. So we take this and we expose his devices, but we don't give him any glory for his devices. Because the truth of the matter is, is Jesus, which is number five, to magnify God and his ability and what Jesus has done for you and his total victory over evil. Jesus has total victory over evil. Now, why do bad things happen? Well, that's not this class. Bad things happen because we live in a sin-sick world, and bad things happen. The rain falls on the just and the unjust. Number six, to give you tools so you can experience a deeper, more satisfying relationship with God. Some of you would like a deeper relationship, but you just don't know how. And a lot of it's because it's in the soul realm. You've got blocks there that you don't even know from childhood, from a bad situation, just from life itself. And number seven, to help you identify and understand your strengths and weaknesses. And remember, your strength is somebody else's weakness, so be kind to everybody. You you might be really good at figuring out stuff, and somebody else might take them a while. I can look at my husband does things so differently than me. He sits there and he just goes at one thing at a time until he's done. Okay? I start like six things and I'm all over the place, but it gets done and I feel like I've accomplished something. And for him to do that would be very unsettling and distressing. But see, His strength is he's very methodical. He does it one by one. And he probably does it more thoroughly than I do it. Because I heard the message on Sunday morning where he said, I said that that was good enough. A lot of things are good enough. And sometimes you have to just recognize that they're good enough and move on to the next task. So remember, your strengths are somebody else's weaknesses And your weakness is somebody else's strength. That's why we need the body of Christ to come together. I bring my strengths and weaknesses. You bring your strengths and weaknesses. Together, we're strong. If we're separate, then we're not so strong because then our weaknesses tend to drag us down. But if we have a strength and we say, oh, I see you're weak in that area. Let me help you. See, so we're all supposed to be helping one another. Don't condemn somebody just because you do something better than somebody else. Believe me, God will show you where you you really fail at something else. You've got such a haughty attitude that you're so good. Philippians 2, 13 and 14, and I do all of them out of the Amplified Bible, and if not, I will tell you, but um, it says, Therefore, my dear ones, have you have always obeyed my suggestions, So now, not only with enthusiasm would you show in my presence, but much much more because I am absent, work out 
cultivate, carry out to the goal, fully complete your own salvation with reverence and awe and trembling, self-distrust with serious caution, tenderness of conscience, watchfulness against temptation, timidly shrinking from whatever might offend God and discredit the name of Christ. And I like this. It's in brackets, not in your own strength. For it is God who all the while effectually at work in you, energizing and creating in you the power and desire both to will and to work for his good pleasure and satisfaction and delight. So we don't have to work this out on our own. God is right there to help us. If you've got a big problem today, cry out to God. Cry out to God. I had a big problem over the summer. I hope you don't get tired of me talking about my weight. But I was really in despair because I saw it going from what it was to 170. And I said, I'm on my way to 180. I cried out to God. And he gave me the grace and he put a tool in my hand. So Dr. Livingood, who kind of slapped me right through the Internet and said, you know, you're, you're the one who's got to make the change. But see, I was trying to make change in what I knew in my ignorance. I had to make a different kind of a change. Sometimes we're, we're willing to change, but we're trying to make the change be the change that we want. And God's got a different change for us. He said, well, if you want to lose weight, you have to go, you have to deny yourself all sugar and processed food. And he showed what was in processed food. It was like, okay. So we went on a three-week sugar fast. No sugar, no white flour, no processed food. And we couldn't even eat certain fruits and vegetables. Now we're back on to different things we still can't do white sugar well if we do it we feel it processed food if we do it we feel it so we're pretty careful with what we eat but I had to make a change that was not within my comfort zone so every day over the summer I had to cry out to God and say Lord just this one day let me eat right just this one day and he liked he loved tortilla chips so I cut up little cucumbers. First I had to make them squiggly so I could like them. Now I can just cut them up regular. But uh, he needed a crunch. So I said, well, here, eat these. I can be totally brutal with him sometimes. I had no sympathy for this tortilla chip thing. It's like, here, you're going to eat these. And he was like, okay. You know, he would do it. And now he's brutal with me. I'll say, well, it's got a little sugar. And he goes, well, I don't want that. So we have the power to make a change. Sometimes we don't like the change that God is offering. And it's like, Lord, we're in the garden saying, Lord, if there be another way, can we do this another way, Lord? But see, he gave Jesus the grace in the garden. He'll give you the grace in your situation. So there's no reason for us to ever think that some problem is too big. And see, the old me would have sat there and said, well, I guess I'm just going to be 180 by the end of the year and blah, 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 and just eat myself to oblivion. But see, I've grown up since then. I used to be sulky a lot. I don't sulk a lot. (laughs) Well, see, if you've got a husband and wife team, you know that happens. They look, and you know what they're trying to, 
trying to make sure that they get into agreement. You know, sometimes we wait for something to change when we have to make the changes ourselves. God will give you the grace for what needs to be done. So in Joshua 23, 6 to 8, there's four keys to victory. And he says this. He says, So be very courageous and steadfast to keep and do all that is written in the book of the law of Moses, turning not aside from the right hand or the left, that you may not mix with these nations that remain among you, or make mention of the name of their gods, or swear by them or serve them or bow to them, but cling to the Lord your God as you have done this day. So there's four keys to victory in that passage. Number one, have courage. You don't have to be afraid anymore. Number two, obey what's written in the Bible. Three, separate yourselves from ungodly influences. Four, cling to God by loving him with all your heart, mind, and soul. Now, God will always give you a choice. He doesn't push his way in. He's not forcing you to do something. He just says, choose. He says in Deuteronomy 30, he goes, choose yourself this day whom you're going to serve. Choose. So you have to choose. See, what we have in our life today is because of a series of choices that we have made all along. And sometimes we don't like to hear that, especially if things are going bad. You know, it's a series of choices. I made two bad choices in marriage, and I had to live with bad choices. I made the choice. Nobody made the choice for me. Nobody was forcing me. I made the choice, and then I cried to God because things were bad. And it's like, duh. You made a bad choice. If you make a bad choice, you're going to get bad things. And then you have to rely on God to give you the grace to walk out your situation, however that looks like for you. But God isn't pushing us to make choices. He says in Joshua, if you're in Joshua, just go over to chapter 24. And in this passage is that, declaration we will serve the lord he's made a determination for his household we're going to start in verse 14 he says now therefore reverently fear the lord and serve him in sincerity and truth put away the gods which your fathers served on the other side of the euphrates river and in egypt and serve the lord and if it seems evil to you to serve the lord choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve whether the gods which your fathers served on the other side of the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And the people answered, Far be it from us to forsake the Lord to serve other gods. For it is the Lord our God who brought us and our fathers up out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage who did great signs in our sight and preserved all of us in all the way that we went among all the peoples through whom we passed. And the Lord drove out before us all the people, the Amorites who dwell in the land. Therefore, we also will serve the Lord, for he is our God. So they made a declaration. But Joshua said to the people, 
you cannot serve the Lord, for he is a holy God. He is a jealous God. He will not forgive your transgressions or your sins. If you forsake the Lord and serve strange gods, then he will turn and do you harm and consume you after having done you good. And the people said to Joshua, No, but we will serve the Lord. Then Joshua said to the people, You are witnesses against yourselves that you have chosen the Lord to serve him. And they said, We are witnesses. And Joshua said, Then put away the foreign gods that are among you and incline your hearts to the Lord, the God of Israel. So Jimmy Swagger in that passage said, this commentary says, The idea is the word forgive signifies to remove or bear the burden of guilt. In other words, God cannot do such if proper atonement is not made, which, the proper, which is the proper sacrifice, which is a type of the cross and faith in that sacrifice. Transgression signifies a breach in the covenant. We can have forgiveness, mercy, and grace only in that atoning work. In all this, God does not change. He rewards obedience and brings judgment to disobedience. If we disobey God, we're not going to get his best. If he's saying forgive and we're holding on to grudges or I'm sulking or I'm doing something I shouldn't, then God's not going to bless me. He's not going to bless you. The Israelites said with their mouths they would serve the Lord, but their actions said differently. And see, we want our actions and our words to line up with the covenant. We have to believe, and this is what Pastor was teaching, believe in your heart. We have to believe in our heart. So we, even though we're older, can set goals and we can achieve them. They are achievable. I think I heard this somewhere. I don't know where. I might have gotten it from you. I don't know. Um, Goals without action are daydreams. Action without gold produces busyness without fruit. Without a destination, you will get nowhere. Just don't let the rest of your life slip away waiting to die or waiting for the trumpet to sound. We've got work to do. You know, if you've got that idea of I'm just going to wait here and die because I'm old, because I'm, I feel useless, I can't, you know, I can't do this stuff anymore, then you better change your attitude. Because if you were useless, God would take you home. So how many of you here has God taken home? Okay, I knew that. I actually knew the question. I knew the answer before I asked it. So we have to get rid of the mentality that we're just going to sit here and, and, and wait and wither on the vine. Because, see, that's a lie of the enemy. And in this culture, unfortunately, older people have been pushed aside. And, they, you know, it, you hear all kinds of things on, you know, from the progressives that, you know, it's just it's, it's pitiful what's happening. But I figure, you know, we'll all be gone even if Jesus doesn't tarry. Like 20 years, all of us except for Zavian will, will be gone. And they'll be stuck with their mess. But we don't want that mess because there's good kids like Xavian that's going to be stuck in that mess too. But goals plus determination will produce success. Things just don't happen immediately and there will always be more to learn. And you're going to have to learn as you get older to be more patient with yourself. You know, maybe you do. You're starting to forget things. You know, maybe you just care, you've got arthritis, you had something, and you can't just do what you could do. 
But God will help you to accomplish, and he'll help you to set goals. Sometimes we set goals that are way too high. You know, my dream might be to be, and it's not, so don't think it, but, you know, my dream might be to be this, you know, huge evangelist uh, traveling all over the place. To me right now, that seems really tiring, and I'm so glad to be in one place, you know. But that might be my dream, but I may not be able to attain that because I can't minister to people. I don't have a teaching gift. You know, some people dream of being great artists, and they, you know, I guess that's a bad thing right now when you look at somebody who is not a great artist and they're getting half a million dollars for their painting. So I guess that can work out for you too. But, I mean, you can see where you have a dream, but it's not attainable. I could, you know, dream that I'm going to, physically build a church i have no carpentry skills so you know that dream would kind of be like a, a a fantasy dream unless i went to carpentry school i guess i could learn and follow my dreams but sometimes we have to be practical in what we're dreaming but we can do things we can have deeper walk with god we can do things we can set goals for ourselves you know, and we may, we just have to, if we have to hope to change, we have to accept maybe different choices. I've had so many people cry because they hated their job. And I would say to them, have you considered going to school for something that you like? Oh, well, I can't do that. So right away, what does that tell you? It tells you that you're, you're not going to help them. Because you make a, a legitimate suggestion, all right, if you hate your job, then you should do something about it, right? Get different schooling, um, ask God to give you a different job, start applying for different jobs. But if you're just going to hate it and not go away from it, then you're, it's never going to change for you. And some people just, they're in that habit of just complaining about it. If you gave them their dream job, they'd still hate it because they're just not content. But that's a different thing. So we have to have an attitude that we're going to change, even if the change is uncomfortable, if we want something different. If you want something different, you have to do something different. You know, we just have to, some people have just that Eeyore mentality, you know, Eeyore, the little, well, this is the way it's always been. This is the way it's always going to be. Well, with that attitude, you're speaking the truth. It is going to be like that always. You have to, you have now what you've permitted. Don't resist change out of fear of the unknown. Don't, don't resist change. You know, it, I love Brahms, I love ice cream, I love that, but I can change. You know, I learned this weekend, I made peppermint patties, because that's absolutely, peppermint is one of my favorite. But I don't want to eat that because it's full of sugar, and I know now, I don't want to be a sugar burner, I want to be a fat burner. So I found a recipe with peppermint patties that you can make with coconut oil and peppermint. Half a cup of... Swerve, which is acceptable sugar on my on my plan, and then some dark chocolate, which is acceptable. So see, it's not that we're de we're not hardly depriving ourselves. 
We're just doing things different. And see, in your situation, you might be afraid of the change, but I'm still eating peppermint patties, okay? And I like them. I've just had to make a change. Your situation, you just might have to make a change. And sometimes we fear the change. I've talked to so many people. They said, well, you look really good. How'd you do it? I said, well, I had to give up sugar and processed food. And it's like, ooh, I can't do that. It's like, well, I'm just telling you what I did, and it worked. But so if you want to make a change, number one, set your goal. Number two, map out small achievable steps to get to your destination. I got on the scale this morning. I said, oh, I'm not overweight anymore. It was like, all right, good for me. Small changes. It happened like him. He just, you know, he said, I want to, you know, I want to lose weight too. And it was like he stepped on the scale. He lost five pounds. And I'm like, huh. (laughs) So you make it small and achievable. Small and achievable steps. Number three, get yourself a buddy who's going to cheerlead you and help correct you if necessary. We all need a buddy. And what we've tended to do, because sometimes we pick the wrong buddy, we've picked somebody who's critical of us. You know, I've had friends that have done horrible things to me, and they've said, well, we just want you, she, she, she would do a horrible thing to me, and then say, well, I just wanted you to feel like, you know, to know how it feels. And it's like, okay. <laughs> but she would just say horrible things. Like I would, I dyed my own hair. And, you know, I, I, I don't work hard at the way I look. I just, you know, what you see is what you get. Because I, I get bored with trying to fix it up after a while. I'm so glad I've got Jacqueline. She fixes my hair nice. But uh, my supposed friend who was helping me said, and I had always had to sit on the front row at my church, and she goes, well, your hair looks like you've got like this circle around it because, you know, you've got to go out and dye your hair. So don't get a buddy like that, okay? Don't get a buddy that's going to criticize you. And I always wore long johns under my clothes up in Massachusetts. You know, it was cold up there. We're, we're enjoying, what, 70-degree weather? They're like in the 30s. That's cold, and I was always cold up there. So I'd wear long johns, and she'd go, well, if you wear that outfit, you, you know, we could see that you're wearing long johns. And it's like, you know, so get yourself a buddy that's just not so stinking critical, that's going to help you, that's going to kind of be able to correct you nicely and not just make you feel like a worm all the time. Do you get that? And don't be that critical person. I mean, my goodness, uh, give people some space to be who they are. They're not going to be like you. I think that was one of the biggest revelations I got after I got saved is that everybody doesn't think like me. They're not going to be like you because if we were all like each other, then we wouldn't need one another. We'd all be these little clone things. So don't get a bad accountability buddy. Get somebody who's fun. You know, it's like learning how to knit. We, we, you know, we have fun in there, and we joke around, and it's just, it's just a fun thing. And some people are ahead. The overachiever is ahead. <laughs> and then some are, some are just whiny underachievers. <laughs> but we can do that and joke around and have some fun with it. You know, long ago it was... 
when we, I had my house up in Pittsfield, and it was my house. Um, it was built in 1924, which is funny here because that's old here. I mean, in there, it's like, that's, you know, you're talking about houses. Some of them are, you know, built in the 1800s. So 1924 wasn't all that old here. I, you know, somebody said, oh, that's an old house. I said, well, when was it built? And they said, oh, you know, 1980. And it's like, that's just a baby house. But um, so I, I had a lot of work to do in my old house. And so I always had projects. And I loved projects. I just loved them. I loved to paint. I loved to do all that. I reslated the front of my um, fireplace. I redid my fireplace. I, I, it was painted white. I don't know why they would paint it white, but it was. So I stripped it all and did it all. And I saw that I, we had um, a workman. He was doing our porch was starting to sag because it does sag after a while. And he was shoring it up and retiling it. And he was using the sticky tile. And I said, how do you do that? And he goes, oh, you do this, this. And so I used my porch as a laboratory. I said, well, if I can do the porch, I can. I had an upstairs, well, it was 300 square feet. So that was like 13 boxes of tile. And um, I said, I can do this because I did my porch and it came out good. So sometimes you have to set a goal. The goal was if I can do the porch, I can do upstairs because it's the same thing. So I, I retiled upstairs. It took a couple of days to do it, and my legs, I felt like an ele- I felt like elephant legs because it's a lot of up and down when you're tiling because you're cutting and you're, but I did it. So, you know, you, you make a plan, you educate yourself, and then you execute it. And then you don't give up when it gets too hard. It got a little hard after a while, even though I did it, and I was probably, well, maybe around 50, maybe a little bit younger than that. But um, it was hard to get up and down, and you got to cut the tile. you got to make sure it's straight. There's a lot of steps to it. And see, sometimes in the middle of a project it gets hard, and some of us just give up, or we give up trying to get rid of a bad habit because we say, oh, it's just no use. It's just too hard. That's when you apply the grace of God and you say in the middle of the stream, you say, God, I can see the other side. I can't get over to the other side. I need some help. Sometimes you might need physical help. Sometimes you might need somebody else to come in and help you. Those projects I find satisfying. I work alone a lot. I find it satisfying because it's when I'm, my mind is thinking on other things when I'm painting or doing something. I, I just, it's very cool. And then when we got the church here, I was excited because all I saw were possibilities and projects. So one of the first projects was we, I painted that, the garage door out there because it was dented and it had rust on it. And J.R. drove by and he stopped and he goes, what are you doing? I said, I'm painting the door. But he didn't know it was so satisfying to me to see something look better than what it is. So we want to press past the obstacles, and when things get too hard, too expensive, or too intense, call out to God and say, God, this is too hard. What do we do? But don't give up. There's no shortcuts. But yet sometimes I think we give up because our bodies start to ache or You know, it gets too hard. Sometimes it seriously does get too hard. And that's when we have to ask God for the strength. You know, sometimes we have bigger plans than what we can really do. That's when you just 
you know, you don't say defeat. You just ask for somebody to help you. And you get somebody alongside of you and help. And spiritual maturity is the same way. We all take the same, same steps to spiritual maturity. Some people grow faster because they're more willing to make change. If you haven't made any changes this year, you need to make a change. Some people have to make more changes because of what they've been through in their life, and they have to have a deeper healing. And we have, that's why we have to give people grace. When I first got saved, you'd look at me and you'd say, she's never going to amount to anything, bless her heart. You know, I was a mess. I was just a total mess. I mean, I kept a job and everything. It wasn't like I was on the streets or, you know, but I was a mess. And I had to be taught a lot. And we have to have patience with people that grew up dysfunctionally, grew up in less than perfect circumstances, and instead of condemning them, we have to have patience with them. You know, um, many give up before a task is completed and involves too much effort. They didn't set a realistic goal or get over steps. I already said that. But what does it mean to live in the Spirit? Now we're going to talk about, we're going to start talking about what it means to live in the Spirit. Because we hear so much talk, you know, walk in the Spirit. Well, what exactly does that mean? You know, does it mean we walk around quoting Bible verses all day long? No. Do we pray all day long? Well, we do pray. We do pray. But we don't pray all day long. Do we have to act religious? No. It means that what your spirit man who hears from the Holy Spirit says to do and says takes priority over what your soul says to do. Your soul is your mind, your will, and your emotions. You may want to tell that cashier at Walmart what you think and give her a piece of your mind, but your spirit man is saying, no, just smile and say thank you. You know, and it's, it's a higher calling for Clarence and I because we're pastors. We don't want people to say, oh, that pastor at Faith Assembly Church was rude. Your life has to exhibit the fruits of the Spirit. But don't be a doormat. You can say what you have to say, and you can say it nicely. Amen? Sometimes we have to, and we get so condemned. This is one of the things we're going to talk about during this class is standing up for yourself and not feeling condemned because you make a stand. You know, I was so shy that when in the beginning, when we first started, I first started teaching just Sunday school, just little littles, four and fives, I think, for the Christmas play, I had to stand up and just hold a sign, and I was shaking like a leaf. And haven't I come a far ways from there? But it's not been an easy road sometimes. You just have to, you just have to suck it up and do it. But you can tell yourself, you know, I'm, I'm going to walk by the Spirit and not by the flesh. So one thing, number one, what does it mean? Okay, number one, my body doesn't dictate what I do. Okay, that's how we walk in the Spirit. For example, I may want to stay in bed all day long because I don't feel like it. I don't feel like getting up. How many times have we not felt like doing something? But you know, like, hey, if I don't feel like doing it, and you learn as you get older, you know, if I don't feel like doing the dishes, I'm going to go to bed, I'm going to wake up, and guess what's going to be there? The dishes. So we've learned that even though we don't feel like doing certain things, we still do them. That's just a sign of maturity. 
So even my body doesn't dictate what I feel like doing, even at our age, okay? Sometimes I don't feel like getting out of bed because I hurt or whatever. We can't go by how we feel like. We have to go by and, and use common sense with all this. Number two, my mind doesn't dictate what I do. I may think it's okay to drive fast because I'm in a hurry. Okay, so sometimes our mind gets involved and tells us to do things that isn't really legal or good for us. Or, you know, our mind will say, well, that's okay. You know, you're in a hurry, and if you just go a little bit over the speed limit, that's all right. That's your mind telling you what to do, but your spirit man is saying, no, obey the laws of the land. You see the speed limit? Do the speed limit. Number three, this one's a big one. My emotions don't dictate what I do. If I'm really angry and I'm going to control everybody by sulking to get my own way. Okay, we can control people by giving them the silent treatment, by doing things that, you know, well, you know, you did this to me. I'm going to make you pay. I'm just not going to talk to you. You know, if I'm not happy, no one is going to be happy easier. So we don't want to let our emotions dictate. Number four, we live by the dictates of the Spirit of God. That means my spirit has to be in control, and as I grow in the Lord, so does my ability to respond to situations in a Christ-like manner. So that's what it means to live in the Spirit, to walk in the Spirit. We respond the way God would respond. Sometimes, because we've always responded in certain ungodly ways, we don't even realize what we're doing. You know, I didn't realize I was sulky or moody until God showed me in his nice, gentle way that I was sulky and moody and I needed to make change. But it wasn't until after I got married to him that I had to make change. So what was I, 40, or I was 57 when we got married. So at 57, 58, 59, I had to start making changes because I was a little sulky and a little moody. But I have to admit, I was a lot less sulkier and moodier, not that I'm making excuses, okay? I was at 57 a lot less sulkier and moodier than I was earlier in my life because God had worked something out. He just wanted to bring it to a different level. Sometimes we've convinced ourselves that we have no choice but to remain in that situation, but that's false. It's a lie. We always have a choice. Sometimes the choice involves difficult decisions. We've already talked about that. But rather than make necessary change, change, sometimes we make an excuse. Well, that's just the way I am. Just deal with it. We disallow for the grace that God has for us to make difficult changes. I had to make change. I didn't want to be sulky. I didn't want to give him the silent treatment when I wasn't happy with him. I mean, that's just dumb, isn't it? I mean, you look at it now, but some of you might do that too, not even realize it. That's why we have this class, is to shine the light on it. Because you might have thought, because you've always been that way. You know, I've been, that when I was in my birth family, I was the baby, okay? Babies always had special privileges. Everybody loves the baby. My sisters love the baby. You know, they fought among themselves, but they always loved the baby. You know, and the, the baby, I just figured everybody loves me. And I still figure that. Everybody loves me. And then I find out that some people don't like me, and then that really makes me sad. But, you know, we, we look at our necessary things that we have to make necessary changes with. God will give us the grace to make those hard changes. 
In Deuteronomy 30, it says, I called heaven and earth to witness this day against you, that I have set before you life and death, the blessings and curses. Therefore, choose life, that you and your descendants may live. And you may love the Lord your God, obey his voice, and cling to him. For he is life and the length of your days, that you may dwell in the land which the Lord swore to give to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So he says, choose. Psalm 119, 174, 173, 174. Let your hand be ready to help me, for I have chosen your precepts. I have longed for your salvation, O Lord, and your law is my delight. God also makes changes or choices. Did you know that? Did you ever think about it? God makes choices? God has choices. God makes choices. He chooses to be merciful to us. He chooses to forgive us, to forget our past, to see us through the blood of Jesus, and he chooses to be good to us. See, God makes choices too. James 1, 17 through 19. Every good and perfect gift, free, large, and full, is from above. It comes down from the Father of all that gives light and the shining of whom there can be no variation. And it was of his own free will that he gave us birth as sons by his word of truth so that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures, a sample of what he created to be consecrated to himself. Jeremiah 29:11. For I know the thoughts and plans that I have for you, says the Lord, thoughts and plans for welfare and peace and not evil, to give you hope in your final outcome. So God speaks clearly to us every day. But why don't we hear him correctly? And how does he speak? He speaks to us through the Bible, through prayer, through sermons, through other people, and he'll even use nature to do it. When you look at the trees or you look at something in nature, he's speaking all the time, but we don't often hear clearly what he's saying to us. Choosing God's plan gives you life. Choosing the devil's plan gives you death. God has a wonderful plan, and the devil has a plan to completely destroy you and everything you love. But unfortunately, in most people's life, the devil's plan has been active longer than God's plan. Why? Because from the time you were born, the devil set out to destroy you. The devil speaks. This is how he speaks. And I know this will help you. It helped me. The devil speaks in that little voice in your head that brings condemnation and causes you to hesitate. That little voice in your head. Anytime you hear condemning words, go up. That's not God. God doesn't condemn. Or when something happens, you get that terrible pit in your stomach that you blew it again, and it's always going to be like this. I'm always going to make that mistake. I'm always going to do that. You get a pit in your stomach. You get a voice in your head. Know from this day forward that that's not God. And you have no obligation whatsoever to listen to that voice that's in your head or that feeling in your stomach. I used to get that feeling in my stomach all the time, like I did something wrong. And we're going to talk later about guilt and condemnation. See, God brings conviction. He doesn't bring condemnation. He's not going to call you stupid. He's not going to say, why did you do this again? You're never going to change. That's not God's voice. We have to recognize the voice of the devil, and then we have to reject it. Reject it in your head the minute it comes in. And it's trying to tell you something contrary. You hear a condemning voice, that's not God. 
So you have the permission and you have the authority to reject it right off the bat. But see, some of us have lived so long with that little voice in our head, that feeling of pit in our stomach that we did something wrong again, that we blew it again. We've lived with it so long, we think that's normal. That's not normal. That's the way the devil wants you to feel is normal. But it's not normal for children of God. And we're going to surgically remove that. Amen? Spiritually and surgically. God speaks directly to your spirit. Your mind can intercept the message, and the interpretation can sometimes come through many filters. I'm going to give you a copy of this later, only because I don't want you looking at it now. And if we had, like, oodles of help, we would have it up on the screen. But you're going to take, you can take that home and you can see it. But if you can think of God speaks, I hear, and then in between... There's all these filters that it goes through. So some of the filters are occult influences, okay, things that maybe we've dabbled with in the past. We had our palm read, didn't realize it was wrong. Um, You know, all these occult influences. Anger, bitterness, unforgiveness, that's another filter. Past hurts, painful childhood, that's another filter. Rejection of any kind, that's a filter. Shame, confusion, that's a filter. Improper role modeling, that's a filter. Sometimes God will say, I love you. And by the time it's reached your spirit, by the time it's reached you, your mind's interpreted it to say, well, I love you, but. Okay? We look through those filters. Your mind and your emotions operate out of the five senses. So your soul takes that information that it receives. It adds past life experiences to it adds some soulish reasoning, and then it comes to a conclusion, often faulty. God just says he loves you. Your spirit man will get revelation knowledge from the Holy Spirit. For example, when God says he loves you, but because of your wounded background, you may think he is saying that to manipulate you into obedience. Or he feels sorry for you, so he says he loves you. Or you may completely... Because people close to you have hurt you in the past, and you don't let anybody, including God, get close to you anymore. So you love me? That's too bad for you, God. You know, I feel sorry for you that you would love somebody like me. And we don't say those things, but we think it. You may not even think God is talking to you. You might read John 3.16 and say, well, that's good for everybody else but me. But you say it unconsciously. You don't really think that, but you think it. Does that make sense? You think it, but you don't think it. The Bible says fear not, but when you're afraid, you begin to think that God has abandoned you or become angry with God, that he hasn't protected you, or that God doesn't care because he's allowed those bad things to happen. Those are all those filters that we're going to look at in this class, and we're going to remove them. So when God says he loves you, it goes in your spirit and it settles you. And you say, God, I love you too. And you can have an honest relationship with the Lord. See, some of you want to go deeper spiritually, but you've got these blocks in you that are preventing you from just letting loose and just letting God love you the way he wants to. But we're going to look at God's character, and this is how God behaves towards you. And this is the love chapter, 1 Corinthians 13, 4-7. This is God's character. You know, sometimes it's been pushed off that this is supposed to be our character. Well, it was God's character before we ever owned it. 
okay? So I want to read to you God's character and how he perceives you and I. Love, in that starting with verse 4, love endures long and is patient and kind. Love never is envious nor boils over with jealousy, is not both inglorious, does not display itself haughtily, is not conceited, arrogant, with pride. It is not rude, mannerly, and does not act unbecomingly. Love in us, uh, in us does not insist on its own rights, or is not self-seeking. It is not touchy, full, resentful. It takes no account of the evil done to it. It suffered wrong. It does not rejoice at injustice and unrighteousness, but rejoices when right and truth prevail. Love bears up anything and everything comes. It is ready to believe the best of every person. Its hopes are fadeless under all circumstances, and it endures everything without weakening. That's who God is, and that's who God is to every one of us. God is love. He's never harsh or condemning. When he corrects us, he brings conviction to our spirit, and then we choose to repent or to ignore it. But he convicts us. The devil, everything that God is, the devil is not. The devil is not kind. The devil is not patient. He's not loving. He is haughty. He's touchy. He's resentful. And those voices in your head, in the pit in your stomach, speaking those words to you, are the words that are keeping you in bondage. It's not from God. So recognize it from this day forward. Those voices from God, get rid of them. Don't tolerate them. Natural man is reasoning. Spiritual man is revelation and invisible. What we're going to do with these notes, I'm going to put them on our sermon net page, and it's going to be a PDF file because rather than I used to make copies of everything, and it got to be a it got to be a chore to do everything and so I'm going to put them up online and I'll show you how to get to the PDF if you want a copy of it you can get it 2 Corinthians 4.18 since we consider and look not at the things that are seen which are the facts in your soulish realm but the things that are unseen faith in the spirit realm for the things that are visible facts are temporary brief and fleeting But the things that are invisible, things that we see by faith, are deathless and everlasting. Everything you see is subject to change. Everything that you are is subject to change. If you think you're stupid, it's subject to change. You can change it right now by changing your mind on who you are. If you think that you're inept, you can change it right now by thinking different thoughts toward yourself. See, the devil's the one that's been the taskmaster. He's been the one that has been driving these things home in your mind, in the pit of your stomach. God's desire is for us to be content with ourselves. Not everything God asks us to do will be comfortable or fun, but it will be satisfying. Walking some of these things out are going to be terrifying. You know, it's going to be terrifying for you. If you've got somebody who's enforcing, you know, how stupid you are and you can't do anything, it's going to be terrifying for you to stand up to that person and, you know, telling them that, no, you're not stupid. You know, and they'll laugh at you and they'll say something to make you feel stupid and you'll recognize the voice and you won't put up with it anymore. You are able and you're capable, every single one of us. Why? Because we have the grace of God. We have the strength of God behind us. Not that we're so great people. 
But God is great, and he wants to show himself strong through us, and he wants to put those people in their place and stop harassing you with their stupidity. They're the stupid ones. Sorry if the word's stupid, I know. <laughs> Paisley goes, she said a bad word. Well, I'm from New England. That's what we say. Not really bad words. The Antichrist spirit of this world will not perceive the greater plans of God. The Antichrist world are doomed to fail because they don't see God's plan. Don't discount the power of God in your situation. We can't let the devil keep us in defeat because we're so in tune with those voices and don't even realize. I mean, we get into agreement with them. You don't need to be in agreement with that. You need to be in agreement with God. You are a child of God. You are a child of the king. You've been given everything that pertains to life and godliness. The devil only operates in the soulish realm, and he tries to influence or unsettle you. And he can only use reason, and he charts your responses to situations by your past responses. So he knows what buttons to push. He knows what to say to make that pit in your stomach start or make that head thing. He knows exactly what to do, and he'll use anybody. Somebody might say it just um, not... Not to hurt you. Somebody just might say a passing, like make a joke or something, and that pit in the stomach starts, and it's like, oh, man, I'm just such an awful person. So we can't see the future, or the devil can't see the future, but he tries to cripple yours by hoping to keep you mired in the way that you think now. He can't see your future. He can't see your glorious future, but he can see it. He charts it because he's afraid of you. He tries to block revelation knowledge from entering your spirit. And if he can keep you paralyzed by keeping you offended, afraid, doubtful, rejected, and immature, he'll do it. He's got a lot invested in it. We can just look at what's going on in this country, and you can see that's exactly what's happening to intimidate people. He's an intimidator. And he's trying to intimidate the saints of God to be quiet. And it's maybe happening in your own household where you're intimidated or with your family or with your friends or whatever. So just stop it. Don't let them do it to you anymore. Easier said than done, yes. But God has grace for you to make change. Only if you want it. If you want to allow it to continue, he says, choose this day. There's a whole field. If you could just close your eyes and see what God has for you if you would just take that big step and get rid of some of this stuff. I don't care how old you are. Do you know Lester Summerall didn't start radio stations till he was 80 years old? And he asked the Lord, he said, why wait till now? And he goes, well, I can trust you with it now. See, older people have gotten so much wisdom by being the, the school of hard knocks. I'm sure some of you have attended that school. And you know a whole lot more now than what you did 10 years, 20 years ago. So he can use us more if we're just willing to take steps more and not believe what society says. We're not. I hate the image of decrepit old people. To me, that's just so offensive because old people are not decrepit. They're just in a different season of their life. Amen. That's right. So we have the other thing See, on this side, you've got the filters that you can go back and look. And we are going to, we're not taping this, or no, we're not 
videoing it, but we are taping it, so eventually it'll get up. So if you want to go listen again and take notes, what I'm going to do is put the physical, the paper notes online too with it because there's a space for PDFs. And I'll try to explain it pretty carefully if you don't know how to do it. You just click on it and it opens up and you go, oh, I'm a genius. <laughs> look what I did. So you can look at these if you're interested. But on this side, we've got outside influences and how they affect the inner man. Honey, can you pass these out? Because this will be the last thing and then I want to pray. So you'd be glad I cut it off at the half class. My poor class, but they were, see, they were hungry. It was a different setup, but um, I probably talked for like an hour and a half. I cut this at half. So you can take a look at this, and I want to go over it and just explain it because it needs a little bit of an explanation. And I'm sorry if it's not like if it's not like um, a super great um, thing. All I have to work with are circles, arrows, and things that I can find on the side of my illustration. I don't, frankly, have time to make a lot of fancy illustrations. But here we've got three different people. The top one is, if you look at the circles, you can see how the... Um, the thickness is different. So the top circle represents carnal, worldly people and their attitude. The circle is an attitude. Okay, so their influences are on the side, on the, the left-hand side of the paper, worldly attitude, secular music, worldly entertainment, etc., etc. Your own ideas on redemption rather than the cross. Their attitude is hard and unteachable in the ways of God. They're stronghold resistant to the word of God, and there's no victory. These are carnal people. And you can see all the symptoms in the middle. Restlessness, lack of control, selfish, envious. Um, and you can look up the list in Galatians 5, 16, and 21. I want to read Romans to you. Can I just have a few more minutes and I'll be done? Okay, everybody except for somebody, but then we'll we'll just take it anyways. Okay, now the mind of the flesh, which is sense and reason without the Holy Spirit is death, but the mind of the Holy Spirit is life both now and forever. That is because the mind of the flesh with its carnal thoughts and purposes is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law, neither can it. So that's the first one. And you look at the center, it's an undisciplined mind, ruled by fantasy and daydreams, imagination, and it's self-directed. A person who tries to follow God and does not make changes in their outside environment, if you don't change some of these things on the left-hand side, you're going to experience no lasting victory in the Christian life. The core of the diagram represents the mind, a person who is not born again and a carnal Christian. Fantasy escapism attempts to fulfill the desires, but instead this behavior only inflames desires, creating a constant state of dissatisfaction. The mind can't comprehend God because it's busy with its own agendas. Now look in the middle of the page. This is a religious spirit. You can pick them out pretty easy, people with a religious spirit. Why? Well, because they display characteristics from both circles. 
They mimic God's characteristics, but they have no fruit. Basically, it's people that have no fruits. They're religious, but they have no fruit. So that's a, a religion. They're spiritual know-it-alls. They, they can't, they, they just, they have to challenge everything because they always know more than everybody else. Okay, we don't claim to know everything. We're teachable. You've got to be teachable. And this person has a bad attitude because of their, you can see their attitude is thick and it's harder to teach than a carnal Christian because they can't control their life because they own the truth. In other words, they are not open, teachable, or not subject to change. They're super spiritual. We were sitting down with a lady once that was, she wanted to be, she was going to be on a, we were interviewing her. She wanted to join the fellowship that we have. And um, her husband was right sitting next to her, sweet guy. And so we'd ask him a question, she'd answer it. We'd ask him a question, she'd answer it. And it was like, um, well, you know, and she knew it all, and she just bad-mouthed her husband like he was, you know. And uh, we didn't, we weren't comfortable with her. We had gotten some bad feedback on her. We didn't, we didn't let her join the fellowship, but we, you know, we both knew she had a religious spirit. You know, she knew everything, you know. Her husband didn't know, and he was just the sweetest guy. And it was like all you could have was just overwhelming sympathy for this man because she just knew everything. So anyways, okay, moving right along. The last one, nice, pliable spirit. You see, it's small. That's your attitude. All these circles represent attitude. Attitude is teachable in a Christian. And you look at the fruit in the middle, joyful, peaceful, loving, that attracts other people. Attitude is teachable, positive personality, very adaptable to change. Your personality weaknesses can be addressed. God can help you because you have an attitude to wanting to be helped. Mm-hmm. You know, you're not defensive. You're not always thinking that the world is out to get you. A person who loves God and makes changes in their outside environment will experience tremendous victory in the Christian life. You know, um, so the influences do make a difference. The first, the, the class that I taught originally was occult influences. I didn't think we, it was necessary here to teach on the occult. I think you guys got that pretty well. Um, so I want to pray for people. And we're just going to pray a, a, a general prayer that Satan will not have the advantage over us any longer. That we're going to be free. We're going to recognize that voice in our head. And we're going to be more sensitive to God's voice and the voice of a stranger we will not follow. And God grant us healing in our souls that we need. And we're going to break the power of those strongholds. You may have had them from childhood. You know, I always told, because I was the younger, youngest, and I was, there was six years between us. I was always the accident. You know, I was the accident. I was just, you know, the one that showed up unaware I mean, it's like, you know, we all know how accidents happen. It was not an accident, folks. But, um, you know, God takes these things that we've been told, and he destroys them with the the anointing, destroys those yoke of bondages, things that you've believed all your life. And we're just going to pray. You can just bow your heads. I'm not asking anybody to come up to the altar. Just bow your head, and I'm going to pray a prayer. And if that's you, you know it's you. 
And you know what? God is working on you today, and he's going to destroy it right there in your seat. Amen. So, Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you for this teaching. Father, we thank you for this time. Lord, that every voice in our head that's been telling us things that have been contrary to your word. Father, I'm taking authority right now in the name of Jesus, by the blood of Jesus. Every wrong thought. Father, everything that would cause us not to step forward and do our best. Everything that would cause us not to try new things. Lord, every voice I am speaking to in the name of Jesus, and I am telling you that your assignment is over in the name of Jesus. Father, everything that would control the pit of your stomach, that you messed up again, you did it again. Father, every voice, Lord, we are taking authority by the power of Jesus Christ, and we are speaking in the name of Jesus. We are speaking life. We speak life. We speak the life of the blood of Jesus over each and every person. Father, that no more that they are going to identify the voice of a stranger and they will not follow it, they will not bow down to it in the name of Jesus. Father, we are thanking you for freedom in Christ. Father, we thank you for brand new goals. Father, we thank you for brand new ways of living. Father, we thank you for extra joy of the Lord today. And God, we're just careful. We just give you praise. Lord, we love you. We know that you love us. Father, remind us of the grace of God that's available to us for problems that seem bigger than what we are. Lord, you give us grace. Father, we thank you for your mercy. Father, we thank you that everything that the devil has stolen by lying to us, to telling us that we're less than a child of God. Father, that he has to return sevenfold. And Lord, we are claiming that in the name of Jesus. Father, we're claiming it in the name of Jesus. And Father, we just love you and we appreciate you. And Lord, we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. It is no secret what God can do. God.